You may be seated. Our sermon text today as we continue our journey through the book of Galatians is Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I will be reading from the uh, English Standard Version. You may notice on the back of your bulletin, it's actually printed out for you if you'd like to follow along there. It also is a a four-point outline kind of that shows you where we will be going so that you can follow along. And even if you desire, take notes. That will be handy for that. Uh, Before we jump into that, though, let's take a moment now and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time in his word. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be present with us in a mighty way now as we open your word, which is living and active. May your spirit work in and through us. We pray that you would speak clearly today, that the the truth that we would hear would not be man's truth, would not be my truth, would not be any other's truth, but would be your truth, and that it might build us up in Christ-likeness, that we might see you more clearly, as a result, our love for you growing always. We pray for those who can't be with us today that would desire to be here. We pray that you would be working in them as well on this day. We just ask that you be with us all, not because we deserve it, but because we need it. Speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here now, Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15, this is the inspired word of God. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, this passage talks about a lot of things, but one of the, one of the things it speaks about very particularly is freedom. And we, I suppose, wherever we are, whoever we are, but especially so here in America, appreciate freedom. It's, it's one of our bedrock principles, theoretically the, the basis of the founding of our nation, right? Freedom. It is one of our highest ideals. The problem is, though, I, I find that oftentimes when we think about freedom, we actually have freedom itself all wrong. We tend to think of freedom merely as the idea that nobody can tell me what I should do, that I get to do what I want to do. I'm free to determine that. The problem is that, that what is driving this idea of, of what I want to do is often desires and habits and impulses and forces and a sinful nature that are beyond our control. So in the end, we are actually, as we seek to have self-control, we're actually giving over control to something else all together. And so if I want true freedom, something, something deeper than just a surface level freedom, something more is required. That is largely what this text is about. And so I want to start off with, with the first point you'll see. The first point that I talked about is how the law enslaves people. The law enslaves people. A lot of talk throughout this series has taken place about the idea of circumcision. And there's more of it here in today's text. And I want to remind you that as Paul talks about circumcision, he's not just talking about a medical procedure, per se. What he's talking about is the covenant sign that he had given to the people of God. And beyond that, he's talking about that covenant sign as a symbol for the whole of the ceremonial law. He's saying, when he talks about circumcision and, and submitting to circumcision and, and being circumcised, he's talking about coming under the law as a whole. But Paul says in verse 1 that Christ has set us free. And he's specifically talking about how he set us free from bondage to to sin and to death. And when he did this, he did so not so that we might be enslaved by something else. Right? Christ has set us free, Paul says. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Don't give in to those, he says, who would bully you into believing that faith in Christ Jesus alone is not enough that you need something else in addition to that, right? And he uses this term, uh, a yoke of slavery, and, 
And the idea of a yoke, of course, is, is, is that if we were going to go out and plow a field, we, we might take some, some animals that would pull the plow, and, and instead of just having one of them pull it, we, we want to have a more efficient way of doing things. We might take two of them and have them pull the plow, and we would yoke them together. You'd get this big wooden bar that would hold the two of them together so that, that they would pull together, and, and you'd have twice as much strength pulling pulling it, you know, but, but what does the yoke do? It, it keeps them from being able to just go off and do their own thing, right? They, they're bound together by that yoke. If one wants to go this way and another wants to go this way, tough, right? They're stuck together. And so when he says here, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, he's talking about something that, that has you in shackles, as it were, something that, that keeps you from being free to go actually experience true freedom. And we're reminded of how Peter spoke in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council when he talked about the law. He said, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Right? He's saying, don't, don't bind us with the law. Because the reality is, if the law is what determines our, our outcome, if the law is what, what we need to attain in order to have true righteousness, then we'll all fail. Our fathers before us failed. We have failed. Others who we give to will fail. Because the law is a standard of perfection, of, of holiness. We can't attain that. Instead, we are far better to heed the words of Christ Jesus. Instead of being yoked to the law, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is is light. See, Jesus says instead of the, the heavy yoke of the law that, that says you need to do everything perfect all the time with no exception ever, take my yoke upon you. Be bound to me and let me pull the load for you. Let me be the one who accomplishes righteousness for you. Let me be the one who is righteous in your place. Trust in me, depend upon me, rely upon me. You'll find that yoke to be light and easy. For Jesus does all the lifting, right? It's kind of like the idea when, when you have a little kid, like, you know, my kids would be really small, maybe three years old, right? And we'd have something that we'd need to pick up. I'm like, can you come over here and help me pick this up? Right? And, and it'd be something, you know, something big that we need to carry. And, and I'd be, oh, I can't get it. Can, come give me a hand here. And they'd come over and, and they'd grab it and, and we'd pick it up together. Right? And in other words, I'd pick it up while their hands were on it. Right? That's the idea. We don't actually help Jesus do the lifting. Right? He invites us into his lifting. That we might join in it, that we might benefit from it, that we might be yoked together with him in his 
righteousness. And so, so he's saying circumcision, this idea of circumcision, which, which in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? There's a covenant sign of the covenant people. It was, was the Old Testament sign that, that showed, showed them marked out as the people of God. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. And the symbolism there, you can understand, was, was through the act of circumcision, the physical act of circumcision, it was symbolic of them being cut off from a sinful world as long as they were part of the covenant people of God. But, but as they failed to keep the covenant and they rejected God, then that very same covenant sign would show them to be cut off from God and separated from him. And it, it represented the keeping of the ritual and ceremonial laws then that the Jews felt that, that gave them an inherent righteousness. But it was not earning anything before God. And that's why Paul says in verse 2, look, I say to you, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you. Why is this? He says, in verse 3, I testify again that to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. Right? He's saying, if you decide you want to go in on the law, okay. If you want that to be the standard by which you are judged, okay, you can do that. You can choose to have that be the standard. But the problem is, none of you keep the law perfectly. And if you fail at just one point, you've failed the whole thing. And he makes it painfully clear as he uses language here that is, is kind of graphic, really, if you think about what he's saying. He says, you, in verse 4, you who choose to keep the law as your standard but fail to keep the law in your practice, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You are severed. You are cut off if you depend upon what your circumcision signifies, instead of being cut off from sin, it is actually you that are cut off from God. You see, circumcision was never intended in and of itself to be a means to holiness. It was a sign. It pointed to something else. It was intended all along to point to Jesus on the cross. right? Because on the cross, Jesus received what we deserved. He was cut off. He went under the knife. His blood was spilt. And he took what should have been ours. That's our only hope. Our only hope is to trust in his righteousness, that he has fully accomplished what the law demanded, and he has sacrificially atoned for our sin. The common belief in the world is that that right, righteousness is something we attain by keeping enough rules, right? You, you, you find out what the rules are, and, and you do enough of the right things, and you earn enough points on the cosmic scoreboard, right? And, and, and hopefully you don't do too many bad things where you get, you know, cosmic demerits, right? And at the end of the day, you know, Peter or the angels or God or somebody looks at your scorecard and tallies it all up, Right? You know, and well, you know, there was that one bad thing you did, and there was this good thing, okay, that was nice, and, 
At the end of the day, you get a score of 79. That's a passing grade. Okay, you're in, right? That, that's kind of the general thought, I think, that people in society think of, like, how salvation works. Sadly, it's also the way a lot of people within the church think about it. A lot of people within the church think, you know, I'm, I'm here at the church. I'm, I'm showing up every Sunday. I, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm on a committee, and I help out with serving in this other way, and I do these other nice things, and I, I give money, and I give time, and I give effort, and I'm here every Sunday, and I, I say my prayers, and I sing the hymns, and I, I do all these things. So God must love me because I, I, surely I got enough points for all those things. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the gospel proclaims. It says if you are looking to your own efforts to be made righteous, you will fail. You need to look to Christ alone. And this is something we wouldn't expect the world to understand. It's something that requires a a spiritual knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2 says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Furthermore, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We just read before, then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, right? We, We don't understand these things. We can't do these things because the law enslaves people. But faith alone saves people. What a wonderful promise that is. What a wonderful truth it is. Martin Luther said, those who try to achieve the status of sons and heirs by the righteousness of the law or by their own righteousness are slaves who will never receive the inheritance even though they work themselves to death with their great effort, for they are trying contrary to the will of God to achieve their own, by their own works what God grants to believers by sheer grace for Christ's sake. You see, for us to be saved, it can't be something that we do. We are dead in our sins. When is the last time any of you saw a dead person help themselves? Right? It doesn't happen. When we are dead, we are dead. And that's how we are in our natural state. We are dead in our sins. But God, through his spirit, works in us. He does a regenerating work in our hearts. Paul says in Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not I saved me, not we saved each other. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but God is pleased to save us because of his grace, because of his mercy. Paul continues on from what he says here in the Unison Scripture reading that we just read moments ago, how those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But in verse 9 he says, You, however, talking to Christians, talking to those who trust in Christ Jesus alone, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He says in Philippians 3, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, we are the circumcision. He's saying, we are the people of God, the covenant community of God, those people that he has set apart as his own. We are those who, we, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. They say, I can't achieve it. I won't achieve it. But Christ has achieved it. For through the Spirit, verse 5, tells us in our text today, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The Spirit has worked salvation in our hearts. He has bound us and united us to Christ through faith. And by grace, we have been saved. What a wonderful promise that is. For in Christ Jesus, verse 6 tells us, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Right? It's only faith that matters. And what's the evidence of that faith? Well, it is works. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do works at all. It doesn't mean that there's nothing that we should do. No, we should be working. We should be doing. We should be actively loving others with our life. But we should realize that that isn't what makes us right before God. We should see that though we were dead in our sins, he made us alive. Though we were his enemies, he loved us and made us his own. And that love of God toward us should change us so that we love him and love others. Right? That's why in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the famous verse is saved, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then he goes on to say, but we are God's workmanship, right? right? Created in Christ Jesus that we might walk in the good works that he prepared beforehand for us. Right? God has saved us. He has loved us. He has blessed us that we might love and bless others. And so that should be the result of our faith. True faith works. It works in that it it saves us, but also works in that it goes to work. It lives out its reality. As James said, a faith without works is dead. It's not a living and true and active faith, but faith that is true and living and active will go to work. So, so I ask you this, as you look at your life, as you take stock of things, what, what good works are there in your life that are a response to the gospel? What good works are there in your life that, that are a response to what Jesus has done for you? Not so you can say, hey, aren't I good, and pat myself on the back. No, but so that you can have confidence that you truly do understand the gospel, you truly do understand the love of Christ Jesus, that you truly do understand that you were a sinner dead in your sins, but he loved you and saved you and made you his own. What good works are there in your life now? What good works are there that you could be doing that you're not doing already? Ask the Spirit to lead you 
and those good works that God has prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. Faith alone saves people. Third point we've got is legalists unnerve people. These last two points will go a little bit quicker. Uh, legalists unnerve people. Have you ever started a project and gotten off to a really good start and things are going really well and hey, this is going to work. I'm going to be able to do this. And then you get a little bit down the road and you're like, oh, you kind of peter out a little bit. I think they say peter out because that's what I do all the time. You know, I, I'll start a project that seems like it's going to be great and uh, I don't ever get done. You know, it, it seems like that happens a lot. That's kind of what Paul's talking about to them. He says to them in verse 7, you were running so well. He's saying, you know, I came to Galatia. I planted your churches. You guys understood the gospel. Things were going well. I was so excited. I took off to go to the next place. And now I hear about what's going on. What happened? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And I think it's important to see here. That as Paul talks about the truth and obeying the truth, for Paul, obeying the truth is not just a matter of following a list of rules, is it? Right? It's not just following rules. It's a matter of truly trusting Christ and living out a life that bears fruit from that trust. It reflects that trust. And the Judaizers who had come in and told them that they needed to become circumcised, that they needed to become Jews in order to truly be Christians, were, were hindering them from trusting in Christ alone by telling them that there are all these other rules that matter. And this persuasion, Paul says in verse 8, is not from him who calls you. This is not the Spirit at work in you. And he adds a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Right? He's saying here that that it's a proverbial saying that the Jews had. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. The idea is if you were making bread, you have a lump of flour. You put a little bit of leaven in it, and it'll spread throughout the whole thing, right? And he's saying that, you know, if you just say that we think that we are saved, salvation by grace through faith in Christ, plus a little bit of work, just a little bit. He said that's enough to ruin the whole thing. Right? Just a little bit. Think of it this way. Let's say you have a painting at home. It's, it's an original Van Gogh or Rembrandt, something like that. It's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. And you're looking at it one day. It's this beautiful landscape or something. And you say, you know what? I, I, I think it might be better if there was just a little bird up in the sky. So you pull out your paintbrush and your paint. And you just, just add a little. I'm just going to add a little bit to it. Right? What have you done with that painting? You've ruined it, <laughs> right? right? Before you tried to add to it, it was worth millions of dollars, and now you've ruined it. And that's what we do when we try to add our works to Christ's gift of salvation so that we might be righteous by means of Jesus plus my effort, right? I'm just going to add just a little bit. Well, that ruins the whole thing. That's the point that Paul's making here. He says, I have confidence, though, in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And his confidence stands in contrast here to the mindset the Galatians have. We see that, that they are hindered from obeying the truth in verse 7, that, that they are troubled in verse 10, that they are unsettled in verse 12. And that's what the law does. It comes in and it, it, 
it hinders you from obeying the truth. It, it troubles you. It unsettles you because you won't be able to keep its standards. You will fail. You will trust in that which is not Christ alone. So you will be unnerved by that. But he says, verse 11, if that's the case, that the offense of the cross is removed, right? The cross should be offensive to us. Because it tells us that we can't accomplish it. We need to trust in the cross alone. And he says, I wish those who unsettle you, those who distract you from the cross, those who call on you to gain your own righteousness, those who say, be circumcised, I wish they would emasculate themselves. This is strong language. It's kind of uncomfortable language if we think about what he's saying. He's like, yeah, he's saying, you know, they, they think they should be circumcised. Well, you know, don't stop there. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, I, as I see it, it's uncomfortable to me to see Paul talking this way. But so important is this point that he uses drastic language. He wants to get their attention. He wants them to know how serious this is. So legalists unnerve people, but faithful ones serve people. You are called to freedom, brothers, verse 13. He comes back to this point, this place where we started, talking about freedom. We like that, as we said before. But this is precisely where we as Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming American Christians get into trouble. We love our freedom. We love our liberty. We love to tell others, you can't tell me what to do. But Paul says only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Right? Don't use it to gratify yourself. Use your freedom to through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, he says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So the moral law of God is still binding on us. Even though it's not the means by which we would be uh, made righteous, it is still required of us. And so we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is really freedom. To be able to be free to do that, not because you need to do it to earn enough cosmic points to get into heaven or what have you, but free to love your neighbor because you've been freely loved. And because there's nothing on it, it's not a matter of, of trying to leverage things so that I get the points I need. But you're free to love them out of a heart that's been loved. Out of, out of a heart that's not bound to have to do it in order to gain something for myself. But rather out of a heart that's already gained everything. And wants to share it with others. And we will fail to do so. We will fail to do so time and time again. But Christ's righteousness is sufficient for me. And so I, I hide myself in him. I yoke myself to him. 
Like the hymnist said, rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and its power. Cleanse me from its guilt that I might no longer be guilty of unrighteousness before God, destined to be damned under his wrath, but also freed from its power, no longer controlled by it, free to love God and love others out of the love of Christ for me. I saw a quote this week in closing from Scotty Smith. He said, the best way to starve the idols of our hearts is to feast on the gospel of God's grace. I thought that was exactly right. Let us go back to the gospel time and time again. Let us understand what Christ has done for us. For it's only when we understand what he has done for us that we can truly do what he desires of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this day that you have done so much for us, so much more than we could ever ever understand even. For your gift to us is, is infinitely greater than we could even conceptualize. We thank you and we pray that you more and more would help us to, to flee from a works righteousness that says I can, I can be good before God on my own. I can make him love me but one that rather instead rejoices in the fact that you have loved us even though we were unlovely and seeks to serve you even as you have served us. Be our comfort and our peace. Be our Savior and our Lord. We pray it trusting in Christ alone. Amen. Would you rise now as we sing together hymn number 480.